You're listening to Breakaway Wealth, the show designed to help you build wealth faster, think bigger, and break out of the herd. Now, here's your host, Jim Oliver. Welcome back, Breakaway Wealth. I'm your host, Jim Oliver, and with me today, Alex Otterwell. Did I say that right, Alex? There you go. That'll All work. All right, I got it. You know, if I looked at the spelling and I thought, don't look at the spelling, Jim. Just say it the way Alex just said it. And I can't do an English accent, even though I was in Scotland this summer. So, I, you know, a lot of friends, they do these Scottish accents when they come back and I just can't do it. So yeah. uh, I'm not even going to try it. I'll probably come out sounding Vietnamese or something. I'm just not good at accents. So, Alex, thanks so much for being on the show with us today. Tell everybody a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background, and we'll dive in. Sure. Well, you started. I was born in England. It's all too well is the, the official name to pronounce it, but I added an R for the Americans because Americans decided to always butcher it, so I always added the R. It worked out pretty well. But yeah, born in England, moved here when I was nine, went through high school in the U.S. and stuff, middle school, whatnot. Got into real estate when I was around 19. Tax deed era, pretty good timing. You know, this is kind of 2011 area. Mm-hmm. Everybody was kind of freaking out. You know, we had a ton of properties foreclosing, and I started going to the tax deed sale and buying up cheap, cheap houses around Tampa because I'm based in Tampa, Florida. Still, I am been here 23 years. Kept buying up at tax deeds. Started buying volume. Got in with the banks and all, all the guys that were actually taking those tax deeds back. So a lot of the properties weren't even getting sold. They were going back to the certificate holder. That holder would essentially sell them off in bulk. So I'd get lists of 100, 200, 300 properties each week. I'd pick and choose what I wanted. I even bought a motel for $17,000. That's pretty wow. wild. So did that, progressed through my fix and flip career, got into seller direct marketing, opened a call center, MGI phone services. That was a good business, built that up pretty well. Obviously, AI is coming in. So kind of foresee that to happen, kind of let that business die off as I went along. But the fix and flip stayed strong. We did over a thousand flips throughout my career. So it's about 11 year span. And then January of this year, I did a massive pivot and moved into oil and gas. So I launched One World Petroleum. We're an upstream oil and gas company. And we also have an operating company, which is kind of like the property management of the assets. So I have two uh, vertically integrated businesses around the oil and gas space. Yeah, yeah. And one, I love, uh, you know, we were just at a meeting for a mastermind in Tampa a few weeks ago. I wasn't, I didn't know you were based in Tampa. I'm down in Naples. And so I'm just a couple hours south of you. So I love uh, this time of year, other than all in Naples anyway, all these people coming back for the next six months. Yeah, birds. Um, Other than that, it's all great. But you see these, it's just like, you might as well think every car that you see is going to pull out in front of you. Or go five miles an hour under the speed limit, you know. So it's uh, the the really good news is Easter is early this year. It's March thirty first, if I'm not mistaken. And so a lot of the snowbirds like to go back to their homes for Easter. So not that we don't love the snowbirds for the economy, but and all my friends come back to play golf. You know, this is like it's like being in high school again. All these people come back. It's like something to do every single night. But yeah, so let's dive into this. So, you know, I'm always interested, Alex, in how people broke away from the herd. And it sounds like you never were in the herd. So like, who taught you 
that when you were younger to where you really never wanted to get in the herd? Yeah. I mean, I would say my father is probably the biggest influence on that. You know, my parents moved here to start a business in America. You know, they didn't have much money in England. You know, if you're not familiar, the, the taxes are wild. A lot of things are really oppressive when it comes to business ownership. You're very lucky if you snake away with 30 or 40% of your profits at the end of the day. So they wow. moved over here. They started a cleaning company. I've worked in that cleaning company as I, I grew up, you know, did different office roles, things like that. So when I came out of high school, I became a boat mechanic. So mm -hmm. I, I was being stubborn and I was like, I'm not using my brain. I'm going to use my hands. I always like cars and that was kind of my thing. So my dad kind of advised against it, but I went to boat mechanic school, um, did that, got out, worked at Marine Max, which is a yacht dealer in Clearwater. I worked there for probably about three or four months and I ended up falling off a boat on land, shattered my kneecap, couldn't kneel down for a few months. So that was pretty bad. But from that, my dad had kind of lost, you know, a lot of stuff during the crash. He had a couple of mobile home parks, things like that. And he's like, Hey, I'm going to start going to the auction and picking up some of these things. So I tagged along with them and, uh, you know, started picking some things up. We were painting the properties together and whatnot. I ended up getting a, a little investment together about 40 grand and got that to kind of get rolling. Went to the auction too, was bidding on them also. And back then 40 grand would buy you a lot. I could buy a couple of block houses in Spring Hill uh, or you know, even in Tampa, you could pick up a house at that point. But I was buying it myself. Uh, I started building some crews together and uh, scaled up from there. But yeah, I mean, my father definitely has always been he kind of had his own way of doing things. I've become more technical guy. Like we joked about it the other day, actually, you know, I love sitting in the office and building out systems, processes, automating things. You'd much rather go out and get dirty. So we're, we're a little different on that, but uh, the initial idea of, of being independent of everybody else and being different was definitely uh, stemming from my father. Right. Right. Now that's cool. I mean, it's always interesting how people learned it. You know, when I was 13, I started working in a casket factory swinging a hammer. And, you know, I'd like to tell you, Alex, that the guy that owned the casket factory, Dwayne McIntyre, taught me about business ownership. And he also owned homes in the inner city where I lived in Los Angeles. And I saw him uh, picking weeds one day. I'd like to tell you that all of that at 13 years old, I realized that I should never be in the herd and that that was the way to build wealth and blah, 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 blah. But took me 20 years after that to figure it out. So I was a, a slow learner, but I love when somebody's father tells them to do that or their mother or somebody in their family, the uncle or grandfather. And it's something that is, uh, I'm really passionate about because the freedom, you know, when you talk about your background, you talk about what you do now, we're going to get to that. But the freedom that you have when you do what you do or what we do, you know, that's what it's about because our lives are measured in time. And if our time is committed, enslaved to somebody else, then we're giving our lives to somebody else. And I'm just really, really into freedom in every way that you can think about freedom. So, you know, right now, a lot of people out there, especially people that have been in real estate, they're kind of like, hey, you know, interest rates, this and this. And look, we have lots of friends in, in our mastermind that are making a ton of money in real estate right now. So we, everybody can come up with excuses 
or you can find a way. And, you know, thank God we're around a lot of people that can that find a way. And it's fun to be around people like that. But talk about your sector right now and talk about petroleum. Talk about why is this a good time? Why is it always a good time? And maybe the market opportunity now, but the cycles that that market goes through and how you guys are taking advantage of that. I don't know if that's yeah. a clear enough question or... No, no, I got it. I'll break it down piece by piece. So right. to start, you know, one of the reasons why I got out of the fix and flip, like when I actually woke up, it was July of 2022. I woke up, I was in Houston, hanging out with some buddies and I had 25 flips going at the same time. And that was pretty common. You know, for many years, I'd have anywhere between 15 and 25 projects going probably for the last five years of the career. I woke up and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. So I said, I'm done. I posted on Instagram. That's one of my things to do. I like to be very vocal. You know, people talk about ways to get yourself out of your own bubble and embarrassing yourself is pretty big. So what I try and do is I'll post, Hey, I'm done. I quit. I'm no longer fixing flipping, you know, over a decade in the business, I'm done. And I actually had a call from my EA at the time, executive assistant. She's like, am I fired? And I'm like, no, 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 we're going to do something else. So I, I transitioned briefly into JV wholesaling and then I got into oil and I heard about it. I was at an event called Eight Figure Cartel. It's run by Nick Perry. It's down in Panama. I was speaking there about my creative financing and stuff I was doing at the time. And I heard about a guy who was doing some oil and I was like, hey, you know, this sounds interesting. Never looked into the industry. Like most, I assumed Marathon and Chevron and stuff were the only guys playing in that realm. I'm not from Texas, so I didn't get to see that kind of, you know, going out in the fields and stuff. So uh, I told him, I was like, hey, he's like, hey, I need help building my systems and my business. I said, sure. Flew in, spent a couple of weeks with them. It turned out it wasn't a fit. You know, just we have a different kind of ways of doing business. And I felt it wasn't going to work out long term. So came back, started my company. I hired two petroleum attorneys that have been in the game 30 plus years. And I also hired an engineer, a petroleum engineer, brought him into Florida and basically got him to teach me the business. Now, back to the core question, uh, why is it a good time and why did I make that leap? Well, if you can imagine, most businesses go through kind of generations, right? So the guys that own the plumbing companies or the AC companies or whatever it may be, you know, they're typically starting off in a family-run atmosphere. Now, they may build up to be a $50, $100 million company, whatever they may be. But what tends to happen, and especially in oil we're discovering more and more, is there's only a limited amount of oil operators. Like in Texas right now, there's 15,000 licensed and bonded oil and gas operators. And probably only half of those people are actually really active. So it's a small market in the sense there's not a lot of guys doing it comparatively to like real estate investments, fix and flip. I mean, there's millions of guys that have flipped animals. It's a very difficult industry to get into if you're not born into it. You know, places like Midland and Houston and stuff, a lot of guys have a long-term background in that area because their family's been in it. Somebody worked in the business and that's typically how that operation gets continued on. Now, what I'm finding is like most industries right now, and there's tons of industries going through this, where guys will get to an age of 70s, maybe late 60s, and they're kind of burned out, but they don't have somebody that's wanting to come in and take over. You know, maybe they don't have a grandkid or a son that wants to be in the business. You know, oftentimes I, I think if I grew up for my whole life in that space and I didn't really like it, probably not going to want to take over the family business. So for us, we're coming in. And not only 
trying to acquire these other companies, basically smaller companies, sub $5 million, a lot of them. Now there's some bigger deals we're working on, but we're coming in and basically trying to acquire the whole thing. We, we want to take over their production, take over their staff, their office, whatever it may be, and basically build my company through acquisition. You know, there's a lot of guys out there that will buy small companies or and, and bolt it on. You know, maybe they're a plumbing company. They'll buy other competitors in the area. We're not necessarily trying to build one footprint. We want a couple in Texas. But in general, our model is acquiring. And why it's a good time is because a lot of these guys are generationally getting moved out. If you've noticed recently on the news, like Hess is getting acquired for, I think it's $60 billion. You know, that's a big player. And the fact that that's getting rolled up into another big player kind of shows you where the model is going. A lot of guys are, are leaving that space, not based on the lack of money, just they're tired. I mean, if you've been an oil operator for 50 years, you've dealt with all the headaches that come with that, you know, mm. you are going to get burned out. So for us coming in right now, you know, I'm 32 years old. Um, my team's quite young too. I'm deliberately keeping a, uh, you know, a younger generation team because I want to give opportunities to people of all realms. If they go into a Chevron or Exxon or things like that, they're kind of bullied to the bottom. You know, it's almost like a law firm. We start off in the middle room, but a lot of these guys have a lot of good talent. And I think a lot of talent's being left behind. So I'm trying to bring in a lot of new guys, new blood, but also bringing a technology behind it. The other scary part, I've chatted with guys that literally have $25 million worth of production, you know, oil and gas production, and they, they barely know how to use QuickBooks. <laughs> so if you can imagine on a technology standpoint, Yes, the majors being the marathons and exons and things have really good technology, but the smaller operators don't. And my background is all about configuring and integrating and automating everything. So I think we're, we're really coming to the table with not only the old school way of doing things, because we are taking that into account because you know it's tried and tested. When it comes to the actual monitoring and keeping track of things, we're using modern technology to our advantage. Oh, very cool. You know what? I the thing that stands out to me, I mean, you, you just said a lot there, Alex, but yes. one thing I love about what you just said is I've been telling people, again, you're in Florida, I'm in Florida. There tends to be, especially where I am, where you're at is much younger than Naples, but all of these business owners, and I don't care where you are, is I've used the infinite banking concept to buy over 30 businesses and some of them from people that are older. Some of them from people that just, they don't know how to get the business. You said really two things. They're, they don't know how to get the business from where it is to make it bigger. And then there are people, like you said, in their 60s, 70s, and sometimes even older that they don't have the fire to do it. And, you know, look, I'm 58 years old and I always tell people my resignation will be in my obituary and I want it to be, but that doesn't mean I want to run those 30 companies, right? Yeah. What I like to do is even when I'm 70 and 80, I want to find the young guy. And when I say guy, I mean man or woman to come in and run that company that and people ask me, and I was just asked this on a, another podcast. Well, Jim, what's your formula? And I said, well, there's two things. Well, two different kind of strategies. First strategy is hire really good people and overpay them and give them opportunity for equity, right? And that part is, I think, really important. And there's, it's, it's amazing how many times in those businesses, Alex, and I know you see this, 
is, you know, you have an owner that's say 70, 75 years old, and there's a, a younger person working there that's capable of running that business, but they don't have the confidence and they don't really have that mentor. They were never mentored how to run that business, right? Or they think really small and it's not a bad thing. It's just, you have to change the way they think. So that's one strategy that I've used. The other strategy is that, look, we'll evaluate the business where it is now. And let's say you say, hey, my business is worth, I'm just going to use a, a easy number, a million bucks. And I'll say, okay, it's worth a million bucks. So now on top of, from that million forward, we're partners 50-50, right? I'm going to show you how to make this a $10 million business and we're going to split the 9 million. And if I, but you know, you don't have to give me any money. I don't have to give you any money. I'm just going to show you that I can do it. And you can put different things in agreements, but those are the two things that have helped me buy businesses. And I only share that because I'm sure that some of that is applicable in what you're doing. But I love that one, you're doing that. And I do believe that buying established businesses, again, the reason I like that, and by the way, I'm giving a long kudos to your answer, but then there's a question coming, is that it takes all of the emotion out of it and the guesswork out of it. Like, let's look at the books of the business. I mean, it's not what I think it's worth or you think it's worth. It's what the books say it's worth, right? Yeah. And so talk about like what you're seeing in acquisition too. Like maybe like what I mean by that, this is maybe a convoluted question, but it's, you know, kind of the old thing, your price, my terms, your terms, my price. But what are you seeing in that's working out there and acquiring these businesses? Yeah. So and I will say the initial concept for us was to acquire the production. Right. So the, the yeah. wells themselves, the leases that have come along with that. But typically when you buy um, a lease, it comes with a guy that is already on site, kind of like a, a handyman per se, that checks in on the wells and things. So a lot of these companies that are in that buy box of older generation looking to move on from the industry, but don't really have anybody to buy it or take over. For us, it comes down to the fact they want to keep their employees employed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, over the years, I'm, the amount of people I know that didn't close up shop or close down just based on the staff, you know, which is completely understandable, but they don't look for alternatives. Um, I would say with our types of deals, you know, we're buying based on the production. So the oil and gas part of it, when they have buildings and things, you know, we will give value there. I just actually did a quote. This guy had uh, 300 acres of surface land, you know, actual land with the deal. So, you know, we bid that out and stuff and added that on. But I would say our main focus is the oil production, but the, the staff typically come with it. If they've worked on those fields for 30, 40 years, we want those in our team because they know all the ins and outs. You know, with oil and gas, it, you can be, you could be on the west part of Texas and the east part completely separate sides of Texas. They'll have completely different formations, uh, completely different basins. So the basin itself has different characteristics, different viscosities of oil, things like that. So taking on the staff along with the, the actual production is, is a great thing. Now, I'm not saying we always do that. Sometimes, you know, there's bigger offers where the guys have their own in-house staff floating amongst a couple of different fields and they're all not looking to sell everything. So we do buy things without a lot of staff with them, but you know, the industry is pretty tight knit. I mean, I can make a call right now with the connections I've made and uh, you know, find a person for most roles. So it's been pretty great for that. That's awesome. So tell, 
you know, before we got on, you told me there was a couple different ways that people could work with you and your firm. Explain, you know, I think we've talked about why. I mean, I think what you're doing is really cool. And, you know, there are people that are out there, they're more passive investors and they're thinking, hey, how do I get in on that? What you're doing, Alex, and how do I get a, you know, a nice return? And then there may be some people that have more capital and more cash sitting there in, in their policies or outside of their policies thinking, you know what, I want to partner with you. So talk about the opportunities yeah. that people have with you. Cool. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's kind of two ways to do it with oil and gas. One is the debt model, which is, you know, banking type things or private loans, things like that. That's kind of what we've done so far. You know, I know a lot of people in real estate, uh, a lot of hard money lenders that were privately backed on their own cash. And, you know, those are the kind of guys we're approaching right now. They're just doing a debt model, three-year repayment kind of thing. The cash flow is very strong on these deals. Oil and gas does decline over time. That's one thing that a lot of people out there don't know. You know, they'll see these pitches and the guys are like, hey, yeah, it's doing a thousand barrels a month, you know, forever. But that's not the truth. I mean, a formation does deplete over time. So we use softwares to analyze that. So for a debt model, you know, the ability to lend into these deals is pretty cool because you get a fixed return, you know, you get your money back as we, you know, as it goes along, you know, I was talking about this earlier, it depends on the appetite of investment, right? There's some guys that want to stick their money in something and collect a check every month and not deal with the ebb and flow of the business. So if that's the type of guy, that's, it's a great model for them. We do a lot of uh, debt type structuring. So traditional lending interest keep it super basic. The other option is to actually buy in on the deal. You know, if I buy 100% of this lease, I can break that up into smaller portions and I can actually sell them uh, direct interest into the deal. So they would be one of the, uh, it typically be a non-operated position, but it's a working interest owner, meaning that they would own uh, an assignable part of the deal. So if we bought a $10 million deal and they put up a million dollars, I mean, big numbers, but you know, $10 million deal, million dollars, they would own 10% of the deal and they would participate in the profits, but they'd also participate in, you know, losses. So if we started putting money into a well and it didn't work out, you know, they would have to cut a check for that. So it just depends on the appetite. The, the returns are much higher uh, when it comes to being a direct interest partner, you know, actually being involved in the deal and having ownership. It's a higher return, 100%, but there's ebb and flow in the market. You know, oil is a fluctuating commodity. Though we evaluate based on uh, forward pricing and we, we use all the metrics and everything else, you know, I never want people to go into a deal and, and think that they're just going to collect checks all day long and make a you know, 30, 40% of return a year and then not have a downside to it. You, know, you have to look at law of averages in any kind of investment. We do mitigate those. We have over 200000 a year in software in the oil and gas space now that mitigates a lot of these risks with my engineering team and stuff like that. But in general... There's two ways of going about it. One, traditional, give us a loan. We'll give you a really nice interest rate. Um, or if you want to participate, there's another option there. There's also a ton of tax credits in this industry. So uh, if we're doing any kind of workovers, drilling, things like that, I mean, it'd be up to 90% uh, tax credit on that. Most of our production, which is called PDP, Proven Developed Producing Assets, those have about an 18% uh, tax break per year. But you, you got to talk to your accountant about that stuff. But in general, there's some cool upsides of having ownership versus just being in a lending position. You know, I like what you just said right there, because you actually answered a question that I was going to ask. 
But, you know, again, there are a lot of people in the audience that are sitting there thinking, hey, I need to figure out if I'm not in real estate and I don't have depreciation and cost segregate, you know, like all this stuff, what can I do to reduce my taxes without, you know, doing a conservation easement or something that, you know, maybe some people think is going to generate an audit. Plus last year they changed those laws and stuff. So it's not as easy to do it as it was you know, how do I get some tax credits? And one thing that I've realized about taxes is every little bit helps. You know, if I can set up a C-Corp and, you know, pay 21 instead of 37, I mean, you know, that helps. If I can do, if I can get some tax credits from what you're doing, that helps. So yeah. I always think everything adds up. So the more that I can do, the better off I'm going to be tax-wise. And some years obviously are better than others. but Alex, how does somebody get a hold of you? What's the best way for them to get questions answered, sure. engage yeah. with you guys? I mean, alex.ottewell, so O-T-T-E-W-E-L-L. -L. That is my Instagram. I'm very on top of that. I'm always responding back. That's honestly the best way to get a hold of me. Otherwise, honestly, I'll just drop my cell, 813 813-625-5278. Try not to send me any weird stuff. But other than that, there's my cell phone that goes directly to me. No, I mean, in general, like oil and gas is a very interesting industry. I mean, I spent the best part of this year learning it all. I've got a lot of money invested in just my education on it um, because, you know, transitioning from one to another. But when it comes to business ownership in general, and you know this, buying 30 businesses, which I wasn't aware of, once you have the fundamentals of any business, once you know how to market, once you know how to sell, once you know how to build a, uh, a pipeline, things like that, you know, you can replicate it. So a lot of people say to me like, well, hold on a second, you're starting up an oil business. Well, yeah, I'm crazy, but I'm also really educated in how to build a business. We actually became, one of the cool things we did is we became the main sponsor at the largest oil and gas event in the United States. Wow. So we have the largest booth and literally my booth is bigger and next door to Marathon Oil, Exxon, Oxy, BP, all the big players, but also a ton of smaller players. People say to me, like, Alex, you nuts? Like, these guys have $50, $100 billion caps. Like, why are you dead center and two stories and obnoxious? I'm like, because they're not going to know who the heck I am unless I put my name out there, right? If right. I'm not going to be loud about it, you're never going to get a dent in a large industry like this where they don't care. You know, the average guy that's talked to on the phone has $100 million in the bank. Do you think he really cares to talk to me, brand new oil company? No. But if I'm loud at Nape and I'm doing a bunch of branding and I'm being in their face, they're eventually going to talk to me. So just a little ad there. Yeah. You know what I love about that is that's another key is so many companies out there don't understand advertising, marketing, yeah. how to make a splash in the market. They have their core customers. There's a great book by Dan Sullivan and Benjamin Hardy, 10X is easier than 2X. But everybody has this 2x linear growth mentality. And when you come in, like with a fresh perspective, like you are, you have this 10x mentality, which is, hey, how do we disrupt this market? How do we make this more blue ocean than red ocean? And I think that's great. I mean, I, you know, again, I look for a little key things, but your background in marketing, what you just said there, if I'm an investor, I like the disruption. And I like that you're buying established businesses that, hey, we know how much the business is making. 
And now let's go, how do we get it to make more money? And now I'm taking my experience from doing this, this, and this to do it. And you're right. Once you've bought one business and you've cleaned it up, which is the first step, and then you grow it, there's a formula. You know, I mean, everybody says it's not brain surgery. Well, you know what? Even in brain surgery, there's only so many things that can happen to your brain, right? And so, you know, you go, oh, we have one of these. And then you proceed to start the surgery, right? And it's the same way when you buy a business. So, all right. Well, Alex, you know, you mentioned your dad. You've mentioned just a lot of experience. One question I love asking people is what's the best advice someone's ever given you? I kind of want to just give a, a general piece of advice, but um, yeah, yeah, I would say when you want to learn something new, just pay for it. And, and I know it sounds silly, but the amount of times in the past, the first five years of my career, I didn't lean on anybody. I didn't ask for advice. I didn't want to spend the money. You know, when I learned oil and gas as rapidly as I did, I cut my learning curve in, in half, if not more, because I paid an attorney $250 an hour to sit on Zoom with me, literally just to teach me. And I went to a guy that I knew had all the experience, all the expertise, and I just drained the knowledge. But one, pe one thing people screw up on all the time, I get this all the time on Instagram, they'll offer me dinners, they'll offer me lunches to come chat with them and, you know, hey, pick your brain and stuff. People don't want to take away their own time that easily. They just don't. Like I'm limited on my time. So I tell people, no, or steer them in a different direction. But in general, if you want to learn something and you want to be the best at it, go hire the best and learn from the best. And that is the truth. I quit screwing around with all the lame guys, the guys that barely know anything, you know. No, I want the best guy. I don't want to spend, give him the money he deserves because he just shortcutted my education from six months to a month. You know what I mean? So yeah. that, I think that's something people screw up on all the time. And I think that's a good piece of advice. You know what? I love that advice, Alex. You know what? What's funny is I always say, you know, look, if we were going to go climb Mount Everest today, right? I mean, we'd make sure we had the right gear. We got the right jacket, the right boots, the right everything, right? Even down to the right goggles. But the one thing, and I'm going to buy the best of all that stuff, right? But the one thing that I'm not going up that mountain, I'm not even starting unless I got the best Sherpa. Yeah. You know, I want the guy that's been to the top of that mountain and come back alive that everybody goes, no, that guy's the best. And so what you, and, and, and I promise you, even if you're climbing Mount Everest, that guy costs more than the other guys. Yeah. But do you want somebody, do you want a surgeon that is doing his first surgery or his 10,000th surgery? Because I guarantee you the guy that's you're going to be his 10,000th is more expensive. But yeah. if it's me, I'm going with that guy. I'm not he going get, with that guy. He gave me a good first. deal, too. I mean, I already paid him two fifty an hour, which I think was reasonable. He's handled 35 exits of oil and gas companies over a billion dollars. So 35 yeah. of them. I was like, that's the guy I want to learn from how to get to a billion. So, yeah, if you hire him for whatever number of hours, you you can't spend enough money to for the i mean your investment to your return or the knowledge is you could pay that guy if you paid him 50 grand you would make five million i mean with yeah. that kind of leverage yep. all right alex i hope people aren't right when they say people only listen for 22 minutes because i told <laughs> but all right i got one more quick question and then we'll wrap this up audience i promise is uh, if God came down from heaven and allowed you to only retain the knowledge from one book that you've read, what would that book be, Alex? Either of Alex or Mosey's books. I'm obsessed with the guy. I listen to him nonstop on YouTube. 
think Alex Hormozzi is a really good simplistic way of breaking down for everybody. So like $100 million leads, that's a pretty crazy book. I'll tell you what, it's so funny that you mentioned that book because when you were talking, I didn't want to say this, but you said something and it took me right to that first book, Purple, right? The first one? He said, one's blue, uh, one's purple. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think it's the first one. How to make offers that people would think would be stupid to say no, right? Yes. Yeah. But by the way, that book is, there's not a lot of books that I say, okay, you have to read that book. Yeah. But if you are in business, if you are a doctor, I don't care who you are, you need to read that book. And it doesn't, I was a solid 1.2, 1.3 student, so I don't read quick. But I mean, it doesn't take very long. And I think if you listen to it on Audible, which I yeah, read it. I did Audible. Because yeah. it's like three hours and 48 minutes or something like that. It's less than four hours. <laughs> and, you know, I love Jordan Peterson. But when I look at it, it says like 19 hours or something. I'm like, dude. Yeah. Uh, and you just. voice can't sleep. Though. That's the problem. It's it, it is. It is. If you sleep through the Hermosi book, then you're dead. Because, yeah. I mean, there every other sentence is that you should be writing down and saying, you know, like, I got to remember that. I mean, in fact, I need to go listen to that book again and start over because it's kind of like Nelson Nash's book on infinite banking. Every time I read it, I come up with something and I go, oh, that's another way that I can use it. But yeah. Alex, thank you so much. We're going to put all of your contact in the show notes. I mean, Alex is, I'm not sure that we've ever had anybody give out their cell number on the show. So there you I go. Mean, I mean, pretty uh, loud. I mean, that's, no, that's great. And I love, I would love to hear a success story from this show when it happens. So Alex, thank you so much for being on the show and audience. We're going to wrap this up the way we always do with the incredible words of Earl Nightingale. Take it away, Earl. Here's the key to success and the key to failure. We become what we think about. Now, let me say that again. We become what we think about. Once again, thank you so much for taking the time to hear what was shared on today's podcast. If you are looking to discover new wealth building strategies, then go to community.createtailwind.com. That's community.createtailwind.com to join our free online community and get access to free courses and in-depth training videos designed to help you build wealth and break away from the herd. Click the link in the show notes to access the community today. Thanks again for listening.